This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is sponsored by Siberia Bar and Hotel on Bellman Street, Aberdeen. Located only 30 seconds walk away from the nearest bus stop, taking supporters to Pataudry for free on match days. Siberia Bar and Hotel is open seven days a week, all year round, and get fired in with our exclusive discounts. Head to the bar and quote the phrase ABZ Pod, that's ABZ Pod, for a £3 pound of Foster's, a £4 for a pint of Moretti or Dark Fruits, or £5 for a pint of Fierce or a Daiquiri any day of the week, including match days. Come on, you Reds. Red slight of foot there. Hello and welcome along to episode 131 of the ABZ Football Podcast and I'm back. It's me, Gary Scott, and we're back to full strength as well this week as I'm joined by Gavin J. Baxter and Graham Steele Gents. How's it going? <laughs> Physically, I'm very well. Emotionally, mentally, I'm kind of in that um, is it the hangover. You know, your man with the formulas in front of him and he's working it all out. Like, is this worth it to be an Aberdeen fan? A St Johnston fan, an Elgin fan, an East Kilbride fan, a Darvel fan. Stiff competition, but uh, yeah, I'm ready to fucking hammer some folks. Let's go. You are looking a little bit leggy there, Gavin. <laughs> it's oh, been it's, it was it's, it was a long seven mile commute from my work today. It's been it's been. Which way did you go? Did you go the right way, or did you go? Did you circumnavigate <laughs> the globe on your way home? Who knows? Stephen Gunn wasn't in charge. <laughs> oh dear, right, we started early here. It's um, going to be a busy one, I think, here on the BZFP tonight. We're going to look back uh, quickly at, at our heartbreaking collapse against POK on Thursday night. That's Thessaloniki, Gav. I know you were struggling a little bit with the pronunciation on the show last week, um, but hey, there we go. It's not for it's not for everybody. It's That's not for everybody. happens when you don't rehearse. This is it, indeed. Um, we're going to cast our eyes back over the 2-0 defeat to Kilmarnock on Sunday afternoon in the Central. We'll check in with our loanies and loan watch. And then after the break, um, initially we were going to do a double header preview for the week ahead, but we've decided against that. We're going to preview the trip to Motherwell on Wednesday night, and then we'll come back later in the week with a preview of the Cup semi-final. So, boys, first things first. Um, POK, oh, I, I couldn't make it to the game. I was still on my way back from holidays. You boys were there. Now the, the dust is kind of settled for a few days after that last gaff the defeat to the Greeks. Um, it's obviously a result, which means that Eintracht stumping of HJK on the same evening. It means it's pretty much, you know, extremely likely that we're going to come out of the group, either us or the Finns for that matter. It's a bit of a funny one this week because I was going to talk a lot more about it, but then with the way the game panned out today at Rugby Park, it feels like that's kind of almost overtaken events a little bit. Um, but for 15 minutes in that second half on Thursday night, it felt like this team were about to have their very own Copenhagen moment before it all went wrong. Uh, I From Thursday's game... After the first half, Gavin and I turned to each other and said, this has been, it's been okay. I know they did hit the post pre-header, but other than that, they weren't really causing us too many problems. We didn't really look like scoring either, but, you know, see out the first half against a decent team, it's not a bad place to be. Uh, and then once we went, you know, 2-0 up, we were playing really well, really enjoying it. And I was feeling pretty confident that we were, we were just going to see this out. Um, but obviously that was not to be. 
Yeah, I mean, I felt the exact same way as far as the first half goes. I think as far as a performance without the ball, um, the team lined up and maintained their shape. And yeah, barring a couple of individual moments of brilliance from the man, um, Constantelius, when you've got a guy moving with that kind of quick feet in the penalty box, not much you can really do about it. Um, and then, yeah, the free header, but thankfully that came to nothing as well. So I thought everyone was, you know, performing well to a man. And likewise, when when Dante sticks away the second, you know, I did start to think that um, for myself and, you know, many people that maybe couldn't make it to Copenhagen or or to Bayern Munich, or obviously, you know, very few of us could make it to the Hecken game, that we won 5-1. Some of us there. There was an opportunity there to make memories for a new generation and how it turned so quickly. Uh, it's still, it's still, still boggles mind. I don't think I've replayed moments from a game as much as this in the past few days, probably since the cup final with Celtic. That's how much it's kind of got me. I mean, I was going to talk about it later on. I was going to go into this in a lot more detail, sort of bit. Like I say, I think events at Ovi Park have maybe overtaken it a little bit, but the, the frustrating thing about all this is I think initially, and we're going to call, come on and talk about tactics from informations and stuff later on. But initially, I think our tactical setup on Thursday night was kind of bang on and the approach had worked. Um, we then get the goals. Um, Miofsky showing his class again at this level, I thought, throughout the game on Thursday night. thought Dante Povara was really starting to show that maybe he's got something there in the locker. That's obviously his second goal in Europe this season. A really good finish from him as well. You can ask why he's not getting more game time um, to allow him to continue to develop that from that perspective. And then, yeah... We'll talk about the tactics, about what happened after we went 2-0 up, but ultimately as well, it's three individual errors that lead to the, the goals for the Greeks. There's no getting away from that at all. Um, the most glaring, I think, probably comes from the most experienced player in the squad in the form of Johnny Hayes. Yeah, I mean, for yourself and maybe wasn't there, so obviously we make the uh, the now infamous triple change and the referee sends Miofsky off to the south stand side, off the pitch. So honestly, I, probably along with Graham, was just concentrating on giving Boyan Miofsky the um, the ovation that he deserved for his performance because I thought it was absolutely class, especially in the second half. And then you just kind of look up and suddenly there's two Pauk players through in the center of the goal, laying one one another off for a tap. And it's like, how the hell did that happen? And yeah, you look at it again, it's just it's a couple of couple of passes and yeah, they're through. It's it's kind of I mean, I mean I, I get that Jensen's mistake is just it happens. There's nothing you can do about that. And then I don't know. There was just a, for me, a sense of inevitability about what was going to happen from that point on. And um, yeah, bitterly disappointing that Hayes, I, I don't even know what he's trying to do initially in trying to head it because the ball's low enough that he can just take it down and then leather it clear. He just makes a really bad decision. And then obviously the ball ricochets off him into the back of the net. And from that point, yeah, you're just hanging on. And at the at the end, the final moment in the game, you know, Rubicic, Let's be honest, he's, he's cost us a point. Um, I saw a lot of tweets, sentiment to the uh, kind of going along with the idea that he'll learn from this. And, you know, maybe he will, but that's not really any crumb of comfort to me in the immediate moment, uh, having seen him make another poor decision. And, you know, it's a stonewall penalty for sure. Um, and then, well, I mean, I've already expressed my thoughts on I have never had any more certainty that a penalty is going in than in that moment unless this boy fucking leathers it like over the bar as I see him step up and just you know side foot the ball in at three miles an hour and our keeper tumbles to the left 
Oh my god. I mean, Gav, you've you said it now so often. You pointed out to me at the back end of last season. I, I don't think either of us could, or any of us can now unsee it. Um, Kelrus at penalty kicks is um, not a thing unless it's against Hibs at the turnout. And let's be honest, even that he dived the wrong way. He did. He did. He did. Absolutely. Um, yeah, that was probably the most embarrassing of all the attempts to save a penalty I think I've seen recently. He just kind of falls in front of himself. I don't even know what the fuck he's doing. Um, we have to oh, we have to talk about two other things, I think, quickly about Thursday night. VAR, first of all, a complete fucking shambles once again. Yeah, at the, at the time, from where we were, so Graham and I were a little bit like on the, the left side of the pitch. So from where we were, I did wonder for a split second if like maybe Mackenzie had kind of like made a movement to initiate the contact maybe that's why because not like none of our players seemed that bothered by it and the check was within seconds well, there was no check apparently well i mean that's that's crazy first of all um so and then when you look back on it and you look back on get slowed down you go from different angles and like all the var checks everything looks worse and freeze frame and in slow motion it it does beggars believe how it's not a penalty it's an absolute stonewaller but um, yeah, for me, it's just the ARs load of bollocks. Stop the presses. Hope everyone's sitting down for that. Um, it's yeah, that's still it's it's too easy a cop out for me to say that that's the reason we lost. It's yeah, you know, the, we lose the game because at that level we're just well, not even at that level as it turns out. Right now, there's just some glaring deficiencies in us as as a team. We have to talk about it, don't we? The triple switch. I mean, just what the fuck I mean Graham you must have enjoyed the rationale afterwards about the fact that the boys were tired <sighs> it's Sunday night we could be here forever if I get going so no I did not enjoy that <laughs> rationale uh, I don't look at the time I thought we were probably I would say we were in the ascendancy I mean, we, we just scored the two but I was enjoying it I thought we were we were looking good and yeah. at that point it felt like if anything was going to happen, it was going to be a third, and we'd have been out of sight. We were playing really, really well. And you look at—I don't think Mioski generally lasts ninety minutes, uh, and he'd put in a shift. So this is not me being critical of him, but I felt the way we were playing was working. So I was kind of thinking, well, Sockler feels to—I wouldn't say he's as good as Mioski, but we've got a gem in Mioski, so it's not really me having a go at Sockler. To me, that just felt like a logical change because you don't really change anything. Other you get the the fresh legs, but to me. I felt we could have continued to play in the same manner. Um, Pavara, again, and this is a bit of an issue. I don't think I've seen him last many 90 minutes. And I know some people might point to, well, he doesn't play week in, week out, but I feel like that should only strengthen my argument as to him being able to last 90 minutes. So if you, because he seems to rate him uh, yeah. and rely on him in, in these bigger games, but there's something wrong if you can't get 90 minutes out of someone. Well, someone full stop, never mind someone in that sort of, you know, it's quite an important role in your tactics to have him doing what he does. And if he can't last, I don't feel like there's an obvious replacement for him. If you had an obvious carbon copy on the bench, well, that's fine because you just take him off and we don't have to change. So, and then I don't know why I took Baron off. Um, he was playing really rather well. And even if you want to change the three of them, I don't know, like five, 10 minutes, intervals to try and just feed everyone into the game and everyone gets a feel for, you know, the new guy, if it's Sockler comes on first, for example, gets a feel for the pace, what kind of balls does his team make to play and what kind of ones does he make? And just trying to change, um, wasn't quite the spinier team, but pretty integral players. And as soon as that happened, 
I mean, we we conceded straight after Bielski goes off, but then after that, nobody really looked. It didn't look like people knew what they were doing, and that hadn't been the case before that. On you go, Gav, because I was going to say the, the the bit for me was that I can understand why two of the three came off at the time that they did. I think Povara's race had been run. There's definitely a question to be asked about how we get more match fitness into the legs of Povara. I think he has to play games to do that. That's as simple as that. Um, Miofsky had run his race. I think he'd, 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 he'd put himself about and he'd done his hard work. But for me, those two changes don't have to happen at the same time. You could have given Miofsky another five minutes, taken Povara, made that switch. Whoever comes in and you're there is a bit of a problem there that we don't really have a like for like player with Povara when you're playing that sort of system. Miofsky, I agree. I don't know why it was Duke that came on. If you're going to play with one striker up top, Duke's not a lone striker, never has been, never will be. Uh, the work rate's not there either at this moment in time. And then, as you say, the decision to take Baron off is just mind-boggling. And again, I've seen people, you know, in, in recent days say it's because, again, he said he was tired and he had to come off. Again, that's one for me when I'm like, well, <clears throat> you have to spread those subs out. Uh, I don't think you can just put all three together. Because what you've done there is effectively, you've changed as well in the midfield three. You've changed two out of the three components there. Um, or two out of the four, we're playing five for one. Um, and we look decent in the centre of the park. And we just completely imbalance it. Apart from Constantelius's running through in the first half, they'd never broken through the centre of the park on us. And lo and behold, as soon as you change two people out of the centre of the park, there's one ball through the midfield. There's a really lazy leg through it at the Leighton Clarks and trying to stop it, which then leads to the chance. Jensen overcommits, slips, whatever. The reason that goal comes about for me, and I know people will say it's because of the slip from Jensen, yeah. But I don't think the ball comes through the middle if the, we, we've we've not made those three changes. I just fundamentally don't think that's the case. I think that's... There's a lot of... I mean, he could have made the changes and we could have gone and scored more in one. But I feel like, to your point, they hadn't really been overrunning us in midfield. And like you say, getting getting through, that wasn't an option. And it's not... I wouldn't say they weren't trying. But, I mean, you look at a lot of the time, they were just leaving... Uh, it was number 20. Basically just leaving him up the corner flag and try to hit him with diagonal balls and then almost like hope he can get a ball into the box and they get something off it. They weren't really trying to play through the field. There was a lot of glass-esque passing in front of us, which was fine. But we were we were, we're dealing fine. with that. We were dealing with that. And then as soon as you change out, maybe it's just coincidence, maybe it's just bad luck, but it feels like too much of a coincidence that as soon as you make that change, lo and behold, that's where the goal comes from. And it's not totally un... Um, you know, it's not that difficult to understand. You've got a couple of new guys coming in, obviously just getting a feel for the, the game, where they're supposed to be playing and not necessarily fully switched on. And then they, you know, they capitalise on that. For me, like also the another element in the changes that I didn't understand was that when we make the change, we then move Johnny Hayes to the left side of the midfield and we move Jamie McGrath over to the right flank. Well, we where changed Dante shape briefly. We, we briefly changed that 4-3-3. Yeah, yeah, I think we did. Um... And the thing about that is that Jamie McGrath in the second half, especially when he was getting the ball, was proving to be a really good outball with the running that he was doing against the right fullback. He was getting a lot of joy, and that's where, um, you know, in part where the first goal comes from. Um, just, yeah, as far as the changes, like Dante, I get, I think I could see visibly that he was done. Boyan, I didn't see evidence that he was finished from the game um i do he could have gone another five ten minutes i think there's no question about that and i'm, I'm almost like at the time like we, they were still very much in possession but we were definitely proving a threat especially on the counter attack and the crowd were up for it if a player can't run on that kind of adrenaline to take him through the next 20 minutes something's really wrong there in my opinion 
that to me felt like a, almost like a sports science decision where it's like, right, Boyan's played this much. He's probably run about this much in terms of his distances. Now is the time to take him off, not taking the game into consideration, not taking the environment and the atmosphere. And then finally, I mean, when it comes to Boyan's change for Duke, I get it if we've got Duke in prime form and he can you can get the ball to him, he can run, he can muscle defenders off the off the ball, prove another out ball, but he's not given us any evidence of that all season. So why it wasn't so clear that it comes on from Miofsky, like Graham said, I don't understand. And then finally, Connor Barron was running the game. Connor Barron was the yeah. best player on the pitch. And the decision to take him on, take him off, sorry, just felt like almost an obligation that we need to bring Leighton Clarkson on. I didn't think the change needed to be made. But if you're going to go ahead and make it, like you say, bring Dante off here. Five minutes later, bring Boyan off. Five minutes later, bring Connor off. Just break up the flow of the game. Give them no chance of doing what they ultimately went on to do. We can talk as well. There was obviously a lot of commentary after the game on Thursday night about VAR and everything. And we can talk all we want about it. But Gav, you were right earlier on that if we do our jobs at 2-0 up, we, we win that game. Um, it's kind of criminal to be in a position where you lose that game. Yeah. Embarrassing. Um, um, and just all in all, it's just a really disappointing evening that kind of promised so much. And at 2-0... We were right back in the group all of a sudden. Well, that's it. I mean, it's just, it's another massive missed opportunity because I feel that we should be sitting right now with six points and be completely, you know, in with a chance of getting out of the group. And, you know, Helsinki have gone and taken an absolute scudding in Frankfurt. So I don't think there's necessarily anything to fear in Finland. No, I don't Who knows what can happen against Frankfurt and at Pataudry. Bear in mind, right in we, but bear in mind by the time we go to Finland, they'll have been out of competitive football you know, the, the, the league season finished two weeks ago. Um, it's a great opportunity there already. But yeah, um, it's just a mess all around. Unless you're working on, you know, Aberdeen philosophies, in which case they'll be too tired to play. Indeed. Um, let's let's move on then away from the, the game on Thursday night. Really disappointing way for that to have panned out. Um, on to an even more disappointing result. Uh, come on at 2 Aberdeen now, Sunday the 29th of October 2023 at Rugby Park in the Cinch. Uh, one change for Barry Robson. Duke coming in for Dante Povara. Um, we looked initially that we'd gone to a 3-5-2, but once the game started, McGrath appeared to play slightly further forward. So it was kind of more like a 3-4-1-2. A couple of familiar faces in the home sides. Starting lineup, Matty Kennedy coming back into the Killy starting lineup alongside Marley Watkins. Killy were in the 3-5-2 that Derek McInnes has really favoured so far. And again, I could do a proper full blow-by-blow of the game here. Um I'm not going to do it because I'll be honest, in the first half, barely nothing happened. This was one of the worst games of football I've seen for a long, long time. The only team who looked even remotely close to going to be getting a goal was Kilmarnock throughout. They were really bothering us with a lot of kind of high balls into the box from set pieces and from actually, ironically, long throw-ins. And we'll come to talk about that in a minute or two. Um, But nothing really, really was, was happening in this game at all until... Killy get that goal deep in injury time. Vassell latching onto a ball after McKenzie looked to have been fouled in the build-up. Vassell then fired an effort through Rubizic's legs. In at Roos's near post, a VAR check. Not helping us out here. In at halftime, one goal to the good for Kilmarnock. At that point, our expected goals was not 0.06 from that first half. It had been not 
two until about a minute before the end of the game when we had a corner kick, which the goalkeeper came and claimed, and that boosted our expected goals by 0.04 out of nowhere. So there we go. Um, in at halftime, um, sub at the break, Jack McKenzie off for Ryan Duncan. We kind of changed shape to a 4-3-3. Start second half brightly. Duke kind of got away off down the left-hand flank. His ball across was deflected away from Jovski before he was able to touch it in. But after that, it was all Kilmarnock again. You know, long-range effort from Matty Kennedy that Roos had to tip over. Uh, Armstrong with another long-range effort that Roos had to save. Armstrong then hit the bar from distance. Then he had another effort straight at Roos. Kelly were really starting to just like bully us all over the park at this point. We made a double switch. We saw Clarkson and Povara come on for uh, Connor Barron and Graham Shinney. And then before you know it, though, before there's a chance again for this to, to settle down, Watkins latches onto an error by Stefan Gartenman. Probably in fairness to Gartenman, his first major snafu he's had since he's joined the club. Watkins slides it past Roos for number two. And after that, again, Kelly dominating the game um, at this point. It really could have been much more than 2-0 at this point. Sokol on for McGrath as the game kind of entered its dying stages. Sokol with a, a, a header over the bar after Duke had managed to fling the ball in. But again, just nothing doing. It took us till 83 minutes on the clock for us to finally get an effort on target. Bojemiowski with what was ultimately a weak header from a corner kick straight at the goalie. Full-time finish 2-0 on the data front. Uh, possession 49% to Kamarik, 51% to Aberdeen. I have no idea how that's the case. Shots 19-5. to Shots on target 8-1. to Like I say, that one for Aberdeen coming in the last seven minutes. Expected goals, Kelly 1.87 to not 0.27 for Aberdeen. Just to put that into some um, level of context again, six wins away from home in our last 22 in the league. We've not pulled out a win from a losing position in 20 games now. How do you sum that one up? I mean, again, going at this game, the results yesterday on Saturday had kind of all gone our way in the league. Mainly no one had really pulled out a result apart from St. Marin. Um, there was a great opportunity for us, I think, to haul ourselves up to fourth in the table this afternoon with a game in hand on a number of teams and just another completely abject performance. Groundhog Day, isn't it? Everything goes our way and then we go fuck up. Um, you know what? The most disappointing and distressing part of this for me, just looking forward, is that it didn't surprise me. That's that's the reality of it. When I found out that the Kilmarnock were 2-0 up, and we were not in the game at all. Um, yeah, completely. Kind of what I expected, to be quite honest. Um, and yeah, just bitterly, bitterly disappointing. Um, again, goes back to what Graham just said. It's just an embarrassing state of affairs, especially when you're looking for a big reaction off the back of the disappointment that the fans suffered at Tawdry. Then you get these guys that are making the journey to Ayrshire for a, a lunchtime kickoff when they get served up. That kind of shite. It's just... Yeah, it's not good enough. I don't even understand. We didn't win on Thursday, but for enough of that game, we were competitive. Um, you know, we were matching them. In fact, we were probably more on the visible side than they were, and we were competing, and it, and it was working. You think, well, okay, that didn't didn't get the the rewards for that, but surely there's a a team that can play at a level of football that's better than Kilmarnock's level of football, and then you can't even get going. Not on that pitch, though. <sighs> Seriously, man. I'm all for... Like, so Thursday was an example where no players should have been chucked under the bus. Uh, we, we collapsed, but there's a whole load of 
reasons did, for that. But he did throw people under the bus post-match. Well, I don't believe that was a performance to do that. But likes of Sunday, there's been a few this season where he's either stupid and is totally not self-aware with some of the shite he spouts, or he's very <laughs> much, he's entrenched in, he's never going to dig him out in public. And that and that's, that's probably okay because not all of that stuff needs to be made public. I mean, you get the Steve McLean nuclear approach because you know you're getting bent and you can just be like, ah, fuck it, I'm going out, letting these jokers know what I think of them. And that's fine because you don't have to deal with them again. Clearly, if you've got to deal with them on a, a day-to-day basis, you you need to be mindful of that until such time as you can move players on. But the the, the sort of tired rhetoric and the same old pish for why we couldn't do something is getting very, very tiring. I use the word tiring deliberately. Uh, <laughs> or any number of synonyms for the word tiring. It's, it's exhausting. Yeah. Because yeah. I thought that was an interesting part about the, the, the post-match on Thursday night was he did throw a few people under the bus. Um, you know, he gave he Doug Hayes out kind of correctly. It, that that he, one's absolutely valid. Hayes he, experienced player. He had a dig about Rubizic, um, which I don't think is necessarily the best idea I'm with a sure guy who's... Totally... I understand that the tackle was daft. Yeah. But I'm not sure. I'm not sure that's the main reason. Obviously, it became the defining moment because we conceded the penalty. But over the course of the game, etc., there were other things that went wrong before we ended up in a situation where A, he's making the silly tackle, and B, it comes to cost us all three points. Yeah. Well, then there's going to be a point that about, you know, there are other options that he has available to him. There are other options. He keeps picking them. Uh, this is also true. Um, and he signed him. Yes. Uh, we'll come back on the game in a minute or two, but like Robson's record now since becoming permanent manager is... Um, Shite. Yes, thank you, Graham. Um, in Let's the league, just cut to the chase Let's cut here. to the chase. It's absolutely fucking atrocious, to be fair. In the league, played 14, won three, drawn four, lost seven, 14 goals for 20 against. That's a win percentage of 21%. That would be the lowest win percentage of any permanent Aberdeen manager in the league. That includes a certain Mark McGee um, in that. Graves nearly spat his pint out across the screen there uh, with that news. In all competitions since becoming permanent manager, um, played 21, won five, drawn six, lost 10. For 25 against 33, that's a win percentage of 24%. Again, that would be the lowest um, of any permanent Aberdeen manager. Now for balance, because somebody earlier on wanted me to do it, and we're, we're asking why I'd, discounted the entirety of Robson's um, tenure in charge. So just for completeness, in all competitions since he took over from Goodwin last season, it's played 31, won 13, drawn 6, lost 12, 42 for, 42 against. That's a win percentage of 42%. Tell you what, when you look at the permanent stats, though, somewhere in this world, Steve Patterson's thinking, I don't look so bad right now. <laughs> exactly, exactly. The reason why I would pick the permanent stats out is because it, it's the trajectory we're currently on. I don't think harking back to a purple patch last season is necessarily helping matters it's right now. It's not representative. <laughs> no, exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. And also, Barry doesn't have to play Fergus Tiernan. <laughs> I think almost if nothing else, one of the biggest issues at this moment in time is well, the results are obviously not great. Um, and that's being polite about it. It's the performances though as well, isn't it? If, if you could see decent performances, but we were just unlucky, we were maybe tired after coming back from Europe, but we were still putting it in, we were just unlucky with whatever 
you could kind of sit and go, well, I can see something. And once we get out of this run of games, that might help us out. But that's not even there either. Like the, the, the way we are attempted to play football, certainly in the league, is fucking horrendous. The, well, this is the issue, isn't it? And that, as Graham's mentioned there, and I would say this is relevant to almost all of our European games so far, and that we've been competitive with decent teams and we've been competitive with Celtic at Pataudry and we've gone beating Rangers at Ibrox. The issue, like, I fundamentally still believe we have a good, decent group of players here. It's just that they're not performing to the level that they're capable of. And I think that they're hindered massively by the style that the manager clearly wants us to play. Because we know that now. It's not the players taking it into their own hands and lumping it long. The manager himself has said today in the post-match that this is not the kind of pitch and Kilmarnock on the team that you can break through the lines. So you have to go over them. Yeah, That is as bleak as I can think as far as language from an Aberdeen manager goes. And then you go with the mixed messaging of how tiredness is not an excuse, but the players are leggy and it's fatigue that causes Garterman's mistake. Yeah, I don't know. And that's what creates individual errors. And then that goes against the fact that, you know, we've got an expensively assembled squad that he's just very reluctant to use in any way, shape or form. Um, so yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, you look at all the factors, all the combinations, it's just not going it's not good enough. That's that's really all what it comes down to. And as it stands, I don't really see what we can do beyond just hoping for the best that something changes for by Robson's sake, in which case do we then back him to, you know, reassemble the squad in January, given the scale of the investment and how badly it's gone so far. That's a decision for the FMB, the reassembled FMB to me. I mean, a couple of things on that, you know, he's saying you can't, play through them because it's a tight pitch well if you build your team with zero width and you build your squad with zero width uh, what did you think was going to happen um, and then secondly I can't remember who was commentating on the radio uh, I got I listened to about half an hour of the second half it's all I could tolerate but whoever was on sort of co-coms was saying like, oh, I don't watch Aberdeen much you know they're just aimless long balls is this what they do and like before he even finished the sentence Willie Miller was like yep yeah well okay Um, you you know so there's someone who is to all intents and purposes just dipping in in and out of Aberdeen games like oh this is shit but this can't be the norm and I was like no no this is what we do Um, now admittedly there have been times where it's all come together and we have played better football and got got results but far too often this season it's aimless we said time and time again and I know I'm probably more in this camp I don't care if it's a long ball it's absolutely fine but build a team to do it. There's no point in this tactic with the team that we have bought, and as Gavin said, uh, bought expensively. The problem, I think, for me is that it's all very well us having a team who can be defensively well-drilled, disciplined, everybody knows their roles, when you're playing against, quote-unquote, better teams, right? Right? Which is what we've seen. We're, so we're, we've, we've gone to Frankfurt and we played that way and we, we we performed well, ultimately didn't you know lead to anything, but we we gave a good account of ourselves. We went to Ibrox and played in a similar way and came away with a win. We did it against PLK and, you know, we're not a million miles away from pull, pulling a result out of the bag if it's not for, from, for some stupid fucking tactical decisions, substitutions and, and some individual errors. That's fine when you're playing against better teams, but for the vast majority of the time domestically, we should be the better team in these games, 
with the squad we have assembled, with the price, with the money we've spent on it, you can't play that way against Kilmarnock, Livingston, St Mirren, Ross. Okay, Ross Kitty are fucking hopeless because even we put four past them. But try to play direct football up the top is just bread and butter for these teams. Like you have to be able to be better than that. You have to find a way to be to have two sides of the coin for this Aberdeen team. Well, just continuing this is just fucking nonsense. Well, it's bread and butter, especially when you're an Aberdeen team who've got Boyan Miofsky and Duke up front. Mm-hmm. It's like what Graham says. If we had just an absolute unit or two units up there to win headers and then get midfielders in and around them to support them, then we'd maybe get some joy out of it. But then I see the average position map from today's game where there's such distance between Miofsky and Duke and the rest yeah. of the team. You're going to have absolute, even if they do win the ball, nothing's going to happen there. It's starting to maybe, and this really hurts to say, because I genuinely thought that Robson was going to be the man. But with every passing week, it just starts to look more and more like the guy just doesn't know what he's doing. Well, he doesn't know what he's doing, or he's just so arrogant to, to, to be welded to this. I, I remember us talking about it at the back end of last season, that it was going to be interesting to see if he changed style when he came into this campaign because last season the run we went on and the run we got into to make our way into Europe it was a bit of a means to an end the way we played you know we had to suddenly tighten up at the back and we did that and we went a little bit more direct but what we had as well is we had midfield runners who were chasing on his second balls we were very good at actually getting early goals as well as I recall under uh, Robson in that purple patch as well so we had something to defend and then teams had to come out against us and then we kind of countered on them quite well. But the football, if we're all being honest, with with the exception of maybe, you know, the Rangers home game, um, the Hearts home game, it was kind of agricultural. But as you see, as you guys say, we got where we're getting results, so it was fine. Initially. Exactly. The tail end of that, we weren't getting the results and we weren't getting the performances. But exactly. Yeah, it was an absolute means to included, an... Yeah, means to an end. But at, that, but at the end, we're like, well, we're, we're over the line here. Sire relief wasn't really too concerned because we'd somehow recovered yeah. from what had been a pretty poor season most of the way. But, you know, I guess looking, it's obviously better with hindsight, but you could say, well, the, the pattern was actually emerging. Which part of that interim spell was the real Robson? Was it the, the first part or was it what we saw towards the end? Because arguably it's what we saw towards the end. Especially once the teams had perhaps figured out the way we were playing, Yep, um, which isn't very difficult to figure out, I have to say. Um, Oh, it was horses for courses. And also yeah. then we just, we didn't actually then, if you want to just go and replicate that, you have to replace the players that left. And we haven't replaced Ross McCrory and we haven't replaced Jill Baramadani. I think which are the, probably the two glaring ones out of that. Also, Devlin, I think, is doing a decent enough job at, at right wing back, I think. But he doesn't have the kind it. of level of power of running that McCrory no. has, which was, again, as far as a counter-attacking move yes great for us getting on the pitch and then you know even then you can still say i mean the back three i'm still you know i still think garman and jensen are decent players and i think there's maybe something to work with rubic but you know i'm not so this is a better back three than we had with the hounds of defense this is also this is also going to come on to in a minute or two but we i I remember talking about this i think graham you and i spoke about this in one of the episodes towards the back end of last season around it was going to be interesting to see what he did this season would he change style would he be a bit more you know, in line with the quote-unquote philosophy, and we'll talk about that in a minute or two, um, how would people start reacting when the results dropped off, which they had, 
already towards the back end of last season and they've not picked up again this season with the exception of a couple of results here and there. And that's the big issue is now. The, 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 the football shite and the results are... And we're losing. Pish. Like, and that is a, that's a mix that's just never going to work. And Pretty toxic combination, isn't it? Because most people... I think a lot of people... A lot of people moan about the style, but they live with it if the results exactly are, are decent. Because ultimately, I think everyone goes to watch Aberdeen get get wins, and it might not always be to everyone's taste how you do it. But if you come away with three points, that's the whole point of it. Uh, if you've got both things going against you, it's really tough. Like even arguably sometimes you don't get the result or the results, but the performances are there, and you think that's gonna it's gonna click. And when it does, we're all going to start to enjoy this. But don't have that. I don't have that feeling either. There's been they're almost like blips this season. Yeah, I mean, I tweeted out in, in the in the personal account this afternoon around the fact that because um, I wasn't going to do this in the in the, in the podcast account, but right this morning time, I genuinely rather watch Stephen Glass's team than the absolute dog shit that was on display this afternoon. Because I mean, like we weren't winning games under Glass either, but at least the football was on. Sometimes semi-entertaining. Um, sometimes it was quite hell, good. Even under gym. Sometimes under good when it was all right. Yeah, fair. I wonder how Deke would do this level of financial backing. <laughs> Let's not go down that fucking rabbit hole, Gav. I've seen enough of that revisionism. Oh, oh, we, we can only go back to the manager before him, right? I, okay, I got you. No, I just think that if you're going to... Uh, for me, I think if you take the, the philosophy document and all that type of bollocks, and we can talk about that again in a minute or two, um, that's the kind of starting point. Is From where Cormac especially has had his kind of fingerprints all over everything, it's the decision to to let McInnes go and, and and everything after that that's followed. I think I think a certain transfer of a Venezuelan right back is where Cormac's fingerprints come into it. Um, uh, it was a net zero deal, so you don't have to worry about it. <laughs> like our new stadium. <laughs> yep. Um, it's a net zero because we're just not doing anything. Yeah, we're in so, so much. We're in so much credit. <laughs> um, <laughs> It's one of these again today that's like, I, I feel like we could go through the entire team, but the truth is no one was at it. And we just touched on it. Like, if the, the, this squad on paper, or football's not played on paper, obviously, is not being used to its fullest potential, is it? I mean, some of them, and I'm going to use Richard Jensen as the, the prime example of this. He seems solid enough as a defender. I've got no idea now, and I don't know how many games Richard Jensen has now played for us, I've genuinely still got no idea if he's actually a decent footballer or not. Because we were told when he signed in the reports we saw from Finland and the stuff we saw from Poland when he came in that backed this up, that he was a decent, progressive, ball-playing centre-half, liked playing a ball through the lines, sounded like an ideal replacement for Liam Scales from that perspective. By the way, throwing a few extra bob Celtics away for Liam Scales right about now seems like a fucking genius move in the summer. Um but I've got absolutely no idea if Richard Jetson can actually do this because I don't think I've seen him play a ball forwards that's gone <laughs> along the deck. I've seen him play loads of balls forward. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in the exact same camp and that's why I thought it was so... That's why I thought, you know, the the element of Liam Scales and Matty Pollock being decent footballers who could move up the pitch and provide a level of support to the wing-backs was so essential to our success last season. And, you know, neither Jensen nor Gartman are getting the opportunity or being seemingly instructed to do that. So it's impossible to tell if they're any good because, once again, I go back to the manager's words after the game today yeah. where very clearly the directive is, it doesn't matter if you're any good with the ball. 
get this into a channel where no one else is. These these players, if you look at the team that's assembled, you look at that squad. This is not a this is not a squad of guys who want to play hoofball football, is it? It doesn't really matter if it's a squad of guys. It's not what we were told we were getting. Well, that is, and we'll come on to that in a minute, Graham. But they look decent. They look decent footballers. We've seen at times that they are capable of playing football against better teams than Aberdeen. So I'm, I'm convinced there is enough to work with. I just can't understand the logic of, uh, and you know, and this isn't us putting words in the manager's mouth, openly stating that going long was the tactic. You cannot have. You cannot pull off the minor miracle that we did in the summer of bringing Leighton Clarkson back to Aberdeen and not build your team around Leighton Clarkson being the best player on the pitch. And if it's not Leighton Clarkson, then it's Connor Barron. And you're just, again, just because, like Graham says, this is not putting words, this is not paraphrasing, it's the manager's exact words. We need to go over these guys. That doesn't make any sense. And you're, we've got such, I mean, especially Miofsky, again, I'll say it, one of the most talented strikers we've had in years. And we're giving the guy absolutely no chance. It's a minor miracle that guy's on nine goals right now. <laughs> exactly. And the worrying thing here is, of course, because somebody tweeted out a bit earlier on, you know, we've got four strikers on the books at this moment in time in the first team squad. One of whom in Duke is miles off it and needs time out of the team. You've got one in Esther Sokler who it's incredibly difficult to decide if he's any good or not because we just don't see enough of him. And then we've got another one in Papi Habib Gay who, by all accounts, from everything we've seen so far, we've spent half a million quid on a guy who is not going to cut it. And we've got Boya Miofsky who's doing his fucking best with... Well, he's he's doing his best to turn chicken shit into chicken salad. And he's probably way in January. <laughs> it's all right. We'll have a, we'll have a Callum Hendry up our sleeve. Like, that's the worrying thing for me because without a boy Miofsky in this team right now, I mean, fuck me, we're only what five points above the relegation zone at uh, the relegation <laughs> places it stands right now. Um, yeah, it might be us that pull well, off the aiming, might be us that pull off the aiming Brophy signing in January. Yeah, yeah, five off twelfth, but obviously hovering above the playoff spot. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> on goal difference, so it's a spicy I mean, meatball. It is. It is. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean. I get it's the guts of a million quid on two strikers that don't play. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. When have we ever been in a position to have that kind of just, you know, or, or just spend that over the course of building a team in the summer? Signings. And again, we've got a talented young striker through our own <laughs> ranks. Remember when we used to laugh about how much money we'd spend on Tommy Wright? Oof. Oh, Tommy. Yeah, yeah. Habib's a, uh, oh dear. Five Tommy Wrights. Five Tommy yeah. Wrights. Um, I'm willing to bet Habi makes a lot more than Tommy did as well. I'd imagine so. Um, I think I did tweet this from the official account earlier on today. Um, of course, because there's so many unofficial EBZ football podcast accounts running around. Yeah. Um, is it time for the FMB and for the board and for everybody involved in the club just to admit that they're, the, the footballing philosophy thing is just a load of old bollocks? Yes, it was a marketing ruse. I mean, I, I made peace with that on about day one. But let's be honest, nothing now in the last two years certainly has actually married up to this. Other than other than the fact that we've now got an expanded scouting network. I would say, so there's the whole philosophy stuff, which is it's clearly just not being, uh, people have forgotten about it. Uh, because there's never any updates or sort of check-in or here's what we're trying to do and everything. But actually the whole like Atlanta thing, the link up, the whole sort of Cormac breath of fresh air and we're going to have 
this and the next thing happening. It's all kind of fallen away, really, hasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> what are we actually doing differently other than we found some money? What are we actually doing differently? We have, in fair, the one thing I would say we have definitely done is we've definitely expanded the scouting network. There's no question about that. We've expanded that, and what's that brought us? Probably, based on so far, a similar strike rate of success. Now, it's early days, so I'm prepared to give that time. But my point being, yeah, I've not seen enough in the short period of time, and in an admittedly short period of time, that makes me think this is going to work, because look at all the gems we're signing. We've still had a fair share of hits and misses, would be my... Yeah, my take on it. So yeah. I feel like there's there's definitely probably more chance of success with a wider network and looking at different places, but I don't think it's done enough that we can really be claiming as a huge success right now. Uh, the Atlanta link up was genuinely quite excited about. I thought that might give us something different in terms of exchanging players, you know, sort of all ages for different experiences. It's never ever discussed. I assume it doesn't exist anymore. That feels like a missed opportunity. Um, and this whole idea that we will build an identity is just bollocks. It's just not true. It's. Um, I think if you look at in a number of factors, and again, I go back to when Glass and Gunn sat and spoke about how we were not going to sign players for the sake of signing players that would block the pathway of any of our young players. You know, again, Alfie Bavage scored a ton of goals last season. Looked like he had something about him when he came in and played in the first team. And now he's out on loan in League One because we've signed two strikers for the guts of a million quid. Neither of whom, as so far, appear to be any better than than he would be. So, and then you know you come back to I, I agree with Graham. You know, but the scouting network has been um, expanded for sure. I think there's been some hits, and I think there's been a lot of misses so far. And then the philosophy apart that was, but that you get players in for cheaper sell them on and we did that with with Ilber Amadani for example but the the key to that um the key to that method is to then you have to go and improve upon it and so far that's not happened let's just remind ourselves what the 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 football strategy says will we quickly let's just see how many of these fucking buzzwords we're currently taking if you google translate it it says give us your money is this the one that says football mastery Wait a minute. Well, no, no, we'll get there in a second. So our aim... But yes, it is. Yeah. Our aim, to inspire our supporters. Are you boys feeling inspired right now? Not to watch Aberdeen. It's good. <laughs> By winning. Well, I mean, refer back to the Robson stats from earlier. Through an exciting brand of football, with intensity and pace, and homegrown talent at its core. Which, in a weird way, actually, then makes the whole, like, expand a scouting network running contrary to that but never mind um to become a uefa top 100 club so currently if we, if this was a business and we're looking at kpis how many of those fucking key performance indicators are we currently smashing through but you're not looking at a bonus payment are you <laughs> where are we in the old uefa rankings as it speaks <clears throat> i'm not entirely sure right now um like the uefa 101 actually i'm not going to make fun of because clearly if you were ever going to do that that's going to take a significant amount of time. So that may or may not realise itself. It doesn't look particularly promising at the moment. But there's a couple of other things in there that I feel like you should be seeing at this point in time. So the homegrown, homegrown again, arguably that takes a period of time because you've got to have the youth players in your setup now or you had to have them, you know, so they can progress to the to the first team. But the first couple of lines about the, the style and what we're supposed to be seeing 
should have realised itself by now and just definitely hasn't. And I don't think I'm alone in that. Here's another couple as well. These are these are some quotes from um, who was at the time the Director of Football Operations, now currently Director of Football, Stephen Gunn. The style of play is built upon a unique coaching curriculum delivered across our full player development programme, allied with detailed individual player profile that informs all of our decision-making on recruitment and player development. Succession planning allows us to predict our future squad and shooting balance within the squad with individual plans for player development and a sustainable rolling football budget projecting three years ahead. So how does that tally then with ripping up your entire squad season on season so far and then completely <laughs> dingying the way you were playing football for the kind of last two years and going with a completely different system and shape and everything now because surely that can't feed through into the academy because then you've just wasted like two years of the academy's time playing in a certain style it's almost like it doesn't that's all it's it feels that way a little bit doesn't it my, my whole gripe is not having a philosophy as such i think a philosophy that states your style is silly and naive because your style can't remain a style the game changes and has to be adapted, you know, depending on what sort of competition or, you know, I guess my point is say we will just play this way is going to work for like a handful of the top teams because they'll always have the best players and they will just be the best. But for the vast majority of teams, uh, and I've been a good example of this, for a lot of the league games that we were saying earlier, we are theoretically the better team. So we, we should have a way of playing that allows us to get our better players into the team and on the ball uh, not necessarily overpower the opposition, but we should be able to play through them and the skill should show. Then we'll come into games and European, Europe's probably an example where you know we're not the favourite and we're the underdog and we need to find a way of being a bit more compact and maybe going for that counter-attacking um, strategy. So the point here being you can't say in your philosophy, we're going to play this way because football doesn't, football doesn't work that way. I don't think there are any teams religiously week in, week out, they will just play exactly the same way because they'll always have to be mindful of who's in form, who's injured, who's suspended, who are you playing? So the bet around the playing style is just is just nonsense. But even if they believed it, I don't think we've ever really seen it. I just think back to the very first time we spoke with Tom Watt and we discussed the philosophy and Tom made the point that we were going to say, claiming that we were going to do this and we're going to do that and we're going to be the club that every football club in the world wants to be and only a couple are and when I think about that I think of maybe someone like Barcelona where you know certainly back in the day especially they would have from the minute you get into La Masaya to the first team you play a certain way there's a certain style a certain philosophy and that sticks through the club you can think of Ajax back in the day as well other than that, you've got fans and pundits will hark on about a certain team's way of playing. But Graham's completely right. They'll change depending upon who their manager is and the manager's beliefs. Um, and Aberdeen is no exception. There's yeah, there's no question. You can't look at it and say from Stephen Glass through to Jim Goodwin, who I think tried to continue the style, which was probably ultimately detrimental to him um, as an Aberdeen manager. It's chalk and cheese to what By Robson's are doing, going from what a kind of 4-3-3, 4-2-3-1 consistent to what we are playing now. 
And evidently, I don't believe that's the way we play in the under in the under eighteen team. You look at the players coming through, Ryan Duncan being an example. And you can talk about whether Ryan Duncan's good enough to play for Aberdeen or not. But we're talking about a player who's played what, generally speaking, as a winger, gets into the first team and suddenly he's playing anywhere, anywhere we fancy. Yeah. Um, here you go. Here's our laugh. Then our our philosophy encompasses ten key principles: awareness. Well, if there's one thing that comes to mind when I think about Aberdeen in the last two and a half years. <laughs> well, I know, maybe the next one would be better for that one. Yeah. Football mastery. If there's one thing that comes to mind when I think about <laughs> Habib Gay. Responsibility. That doesn't even mean anything. It's just uh, That means fucking nothing. That's what the lad behind us in the South Side used to shout what about. The, that is just, what the boy in the South Side used to shout about. Just you know. generic management chat. Positivity. The Aberdeen last, come on. Yeah. Desire. Speed. Dominate 1v1s. Well, Jack McKenzie against Danny Armstrong. I thought actually McKenzie did okay against Armstrong, with the exception of that moment. Um, executes under pressure. <laughs> I love it, Graves. That was just a murk. Just a never that, beaten. Is that, is that referring to Dave Cormack's ability to sack managers? Uh, well, I don't think so, because how long did we dither over the Darvel result? <laughs> never beaten. Well, <laughs> and be heard uh, again. Well, fucking boo is loud <laughs> enough. Like there. Um, oh, fuck me. I'd, I'd, my my biggest gripe is not. I actually forgot that they finished this whole strategy document. Then just the season tickets bit yeah. at the end. Yeah. So just give us your money. Yeah. I don't. There's no. I'm not being critical of the club in trying to be aspirational and have a desire to you know the hundred or progress that's, and that's all fine and achieve fucking... that's all fine but you then have to yeah i had to have to come out and say look it was all bollocks, <laughs> was bollocks. wrong way to go about it we still want to be like if the if the critical thing out of that was to be a way for 100 club say look we, we thought we could do it a certain way that's not proving to be the best way to go about it but that is still the ultimate game and here's what we're going to try and do to get there but to put it out in what is essentially a marketing pitch and then just leave it there and never ever come back to it is actually worse than ever having had put it out there, to be honest. There's too many initiatives that we've sort of, the club has started or mentioned that in Atlanta, probably two highest profile ones. And then they just get completely... It's like shiny butterfly syndrome. We start something new and everyone goes, oh, fucking look at this over here. Yeah. And then they forget about the other... But the problem now is, well, by putting out that type of document, you give yourself something to be attacked over. Well, true, but in some cases, justifiably so, because of if, course. if someone, if people were on the edge and they're looking at you like, I'm going to get a ticket, I'm going to not, it might not have swayed people, but it might have swayed some people to get a season ticket or whatever. And then when you don't, you know, when you're missold something, you're always going to be frustrated and probably not going to make that same mistake again. So if this season peters out, and that sort of, you know, sort of like the the bank of goodwill that was there at the beginning of the season, where I think myself included, we're all really quite excited with the way things had ended up. We'd got Europe, we were spending some money, record ticket sales, all, all the rest of it. If it all just sort of falls apart this season, they've got nowhere to go in terms of something no. new and shiny to trick us into buying tickets because they've, uh, you know, had their chance and they blew it. The loyalty of the fans will only exist for so long. Yeah, I feel like and the... fan, and I think Aberdeen fans are tired of having their intelligence insulted. 
It's true. I mean, this has been an expensive fucking season for a lot of people already in a number of different ways. And well, we're like only in October. The European stuff's optional in my... Of course opinion. it is. A lot of people have spent a lot of money in good faith. And I feel like we are being shortchanged and in some cases taken for chumps. Massive, 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 massive questions now about Barry Robson, it's fair to say. Um, but that record that we are talking about earlier on, it's, it's almost becomes impossible to see how his position remains tenable at this moment in time. I could live with the record if we had tried to implement something totally different and we were starting to see, like, you know, we're not too far away and this looks like it's going to, it's going to click and when it does, we're going to be a good team. We're all going to enjoy it. But I think like you said, there's not really anything to suggest that there's a clear strategy or plan within the sort of week-to-week first team. Well, I guess with the odd exception, actually, some of the European performances in Ibrox, there was a plan and it worked. But for too many league games, it just seems a little bit directionless. And the longer that continues, I don't really see, you know, unless there's a fundamental change in attitude or how he tries to go about it, we're just going to bounce along getting the odd result here and there. That'll keep, you know, that'll keep us up the league a little bit and then we'll go on a run of poor form and then we'll get a couple of results and before you know it, it's just where we were last season where season's not necessarily gone, but it could have been so much better. There's been, yeah, there's been flickers of light throughout this season so far, but it's always been buried within, you know, even in our even in our better performances, we're still conceding bad goals on a consistent basis. Um, you know, Pauk, Hecken, um, HJK, Celtic at home. I mean, when you look at back in the cold light of day, the win at Airbox was great, but we could have easily been a couple of goals down had they been more, uh, well, had they not signed guessers. So um, I think just, you know, poor performances, fans who have maybe not turned as, you know, in, in the way they had with um, with Glass and Goodwin, but I feel they're not that far away. Results, performances, it's a toxic combination and it can only go on for so long. How much longer does he have from that perspective? I mean, we've got a huge week coming ahead. We'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit later on, but this isn't this isn't going to change, is it? Let's be honest. No, I think he'll be fine because he's not been given the televised uh, week-to-week <laughs> announcement or result-to-result announcement, yeah. so he'll be fine. Well, Glass and Goodwin did both get 11 months, so he's got a little bit longer now. And I, I look, again, I'm trying to... I guess we're almost a quarter of the way through the league season and obviously things are pretty grim at the moment. But if you're being really generous, the table is still fairly tight. We do have a game in hand, so I'm not sure it's total panic stages yet. No. But I don't think we're, it comes to the... This is just like, Gav, you could just basically re-release episodes from last season. <laughs> there comes a point where do the people at the top really, really believe in him and we can yeah. almost write off the season on the basis that we'll probably, we, you know, we'll be fine. We won't get a third or a fourth place finish out of it, but we're building a team and we trust what he's doing. Or do they come to the conclusion that this just isn't working and we need to try and salvage something from the season? And I don't think we're at a decision point yet. There's enough, there's enough time left to recover this, but I don't think we're too far off. Someone having to decide if he's the future then maybe this season's gone as we try and make the changes. Or if he was a rash appointment, then we need to be 
we need to be making some changes and try and get the season back on track. I think the concern as well though is that <clears throat> our next set of fixtures are not, <clears throat> you know, on paper easy. You know, we 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 travel to Motherwell on Wednesday night. We're going to touch about that in a minute or two. You've then got the League Cup semi final on Saturday. We then follow that up with a trip to Greece to face POK. Then we're away to Celtic. Then we're at home to Rangers. Uh, we're away to Helsinki. Away to Hibs is our is our next run of fixtures. Like these are, you could conceivably come through that league run with no points on the board from where we are right now. I could see a situation where if we get a bad result for Park, which is not unheard of, uh, certainly in the last few years especially, it's not a happy hunting ground for Aberdeen. And if we lose to Hibs in the semi, I could see him getting the Jim Goodwood treatment of taking an absolute scudding, maybe in Greece, and then that might be it. Let's just quickly, uh, a few people decided to leave voice notes for us. So let's have a quick listen to a few of these just now, just um, really just to dampen the mood even further. Um, let me see who we've got lined up just now. Uh, Bobby Sobby, Bobby's Soggy Biscuit, always good. Uh, speaking of Bobby, by the way, you can go ahead and play. I'm just getting the scoreboard out. Well, not sure where the fuck you start with that, lads. Hoofball, yet again, into channels or to an isolated striker. No idea what's going on with Duke. Needs a, a long period on the bench, I think. Give Sockler a chance. I'm not really sure where to go with that. The subs were predictable, other than the, the wild card of Ryan Duncan. But uh, taking Barron off, yet again, just amazes me. He's the only one that seems to have any sort of fire in the belly to, to want to do anything. But, you know, ball's going over his head most of the game anyway, but it's, it's embarrassing, you know getting hugged by Kelly. Uh, inevitably, we're going to get tired after midweek during the Barry Bingo session, but you got nobody to blame but himself. At the end of the day, spent a fortune on a squad, refuses to use it. It's, it's practically the same start 11 every week, so he needs to try and change things up. Pronto. I think the shape needs to change. Surely he cannot look at that any longer and say... You know what, this 352 that I'm welded to seems like a good option because it's clearly not, and everybody can see it. But uh, let's see how much longer he lasts in the job. Really wanted it to work for him as well. Well, there we go. And he didn't even decide to dig you out, Gav, about the Jamie McGrath stuff, but I saw you go and get the scoreboard out. Where are we at now? 3 3. I'd have said 4 3, not including his performance against Pout. Yeah, that's what that's in there. Is it? Yeah, it was 2 1 beforehand, and now it's 3 3. Okay, there we go. But there's Jim been a McGrath few. Uh, there's been a few unremarkable performances. I won't hold against him. Yeah, it wasn't but, great. Um, today. I believe today it was a Gary McDonald esque. So yeah, it wasn't great. But he was good. He was great against Park. So he was. Don't call me completely unfair. No, exactly. Yeah, boys, we didn't talk about Duke really that much there in the uh, opening segment, but um, it's time, isn't it, for Duke to be taken out of this starting lineup I think it's fair to say um, he's been offering very very little I think we all hoped he'd kick on after the goal against Ross County but it's just not happened and listen we're not uh, we're not scared to to, to criticise Duke um, unlike some other podcasts out there who might be a bit worried in case he may or may not listen to theirs I'm just liking how he's now Duke and not Duke <clears throat> I mean I, it's not did it's I not say Duke there him. I was copying Bobby you said Duke Duke did I oh, there we go yeah. it's amazing what happens isn't it Duke it's not, he's nowhere, yeah, he's just not playing nearly as well as he did last season. There's undoubtedly a really good player in there. And like you said, I was hoping against Ross County that would be the, the catalyst for him to really get going. And 
it's just not happening. But I think that's possibly simple, you know, a symptom of uh, or a function of the way we're playing as a whole, as the team. We're not, don't feel like we're playing the way we were, which is allowing him to do what he can do. What he can do. He's, you know, he's getting the ball launched at him, and then he feels like he's got to try something to make up for it, and it's it's just not happening. Sometimes I think he's it's almost trying too hard. But whether he is or isn't, you know, it's not happening. And I think maybe taking him out might just give him a bit of a chance to to regroup. Um, let's see if we can find a way of getting him to play the way he did last season because we were all really enjoying that. Right, let's um, let's take on Kevin Morrison. Hi, lads. How's it going? Um, Shite. Listen, I'm not one for overreacting to performances, but it's but, been coming for a wee while now that you just can't see a plan. What is the plan? Why are we bringing in quality players and just launching the ball into oblivion, whether it be from the back line or from throw-ins? Throw-ins, I mean, yeah. The throw-ins are just nothing short of dreadful. Um, yeah, we look like a, a ghost of the team that we really should be, and I don't really know what the answer is. I can't understand why Robson would stick with long ball tactics when it's just not worked once. I can understand in Europe being defensive and trying to break out and counter-attack, but my goodness, hold the ball. Try and pass. I don't see a way forward. And uh, I'm planning to take my little boy to the, the semi-final next week and I don't know if I want to put him through that. I could end up with some childhood trauma. <laughs> yeah, we didn't really talk about the throw-ins, did we? They need to get in the fucking bin. I feel that no one has taken the measuring wheel thing that you can get to like either Gartenman or Jensen's throw-ins and worked out an average of where they throw the ball. Because no matter what, it always goes either short or beyond Rubazic without fail. And as Graham has mentioned, maybe in passing once or twice, we do like to take our time with them. Yeah, they're a total shambles. And also, if you... The thing that annoys me the most is it's the let's just let the opposition get back into position and let's just decide between us, is it you taking it? No, no, no. Okay, okay. Jensen will trot over and he'll take it. It's so slow, like a well-executed long throw can catch out the opposition defence. But taking 30 seconds or a minute to make sure they're all in position... Utter nonsense. And then, yeah, that, uh, I think it was, uh, so the, I know the thing you mean. You just, I know exactly the thing that you mean to measure. The I don't know what you we call just, them, but yeah. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. If you're going to have the long throw as part of your ar- arsenal, maybe you should have someone who can do it properly. If we do, if we, if our budget doesn't stretch to that particular device, then, you know, let's get a tape measure at least. Yes. Uh, Kev, as well, I feel your pain, mate, about, um, making a decision about whether to take your son to the semi-final yeah. next week. Could have an knock um, on the door from social services for that kind of shit. Well, so th- this might be part of the reason why I think Barry Robson's entered into untenable, unforgivable territory for me today because my son, when Marley Watkins scored, genuinely dissolved into floods of tears this afternoon. Um, and I was like, well, on one hand, 
it's quite nice at least it means you care clearly so that's good um <clears throat> but it was like fucking hell that's not good to be watching your six-year-old son <laughs> dissolving in tears as we just um can see the second goal come on so yeah you're on the list barry well, it can't be good for your six-year-old son to see his 39 year old dad burst into <laughs> tears as well <laughs> <laughs> Um, we didn't talk about that, but what is Stefan Gartman doing? He's tired. Gav, I he's know tired. it's fatigue, but he takes the touch. He's about to launch it. Then he takes another touch, and then he tries to launch it again. He's played two games in three weeks. He's tired. Utterly bizarre. The worst thing about it was he had options just to play a short pass. Well, that's what I thought he was trying to do initially, <laughs> is that he's just trying to create an angle to play the ball to either Devlin to his right or maybe one into the midfield but he's just launching it again so yeah, it's yeah, actually that's... particularly why he decides to take the extra touch i don't know i don't know um anyway right ian taylor that's probably some of the worst stuff i've ever seen an aberdeen team play there was just zero attempt to play football and the players looked like they just had no direction and they didn't have a clue what to do and even when robson tried to change it i don't actually know what he was actually trying to do with the changes uh, how, what is it going to take for Robson to drop Duke because he just offered absolutely nothing and when Sockler came on I actually thought he actually looked quite bright and sharp and yeah. looked like he was Which actually he should do, he's sat on the bench for weeks I'd like to know what your thoughts are on the front two or should we actually go back to going to play one up top like we did on Wednesday night because every time we play one up top, we actually play quite well. I'd like to know your thoughts on this. Cheers. I don't think one up top is necessarily a defensive way of playing. Um, we did that for years with, with Adam Rooney, obviously, and yeah. various others. Um, but it's all about getting supported with them. I would and, not. And what be, you need there, Gav, is width. Well, that's the issue, isn't it? There. Um, you know what our just, team's bursting the gunnels with. Well, you know, when we're playing with basically a flat back five at Rugby Park, but again, the pitch is too narrow and you can't play through them. So maybe we've got to take that into consideration. You know, I, I, I come back. I'm I'm not as entrenched in the Vinnie Bajowin cap. I think Graham is. But again, it comes back to, you know, an expensively assembled squad. We've got a winger there, a creative player. I assume picking up a decent wedge of sticky toffee pudding pocket money, just doing nothing. Another one, another example of just, you know, the negligent uh, spending there. I'm, I've heard people say that Sotkler was uh, one of the more bright sparks. So I'm, even though I think I tend to agree that he and Miofsky are very, very similar, and I don't think they'll necessarily create the best partnership, um, I definitely think Duke needs to be taken out of the team and Sotkler needs to be given a chance because we've spent money on this guy. So let's find out if he's up to it. Graham? Yeah, no, I think that's all. I think that's all fair. Um, yeah, probably my one reservation would be if you have one up top and you don't want it to be negative and defensive, I feel like the only way with our one, because it, it would have to be Miofsky, is you can't just be shelling it to him. You have to be crossing balls into the box. And I don't think we've got the players to do that. We're not set up. I don't feel we're set up to do that because you would want your you'd want wingers to be doing that and we just don't we don't have them so I don't really think I don't think it's a bad idea I just don't think it's practical with the current squad right um, two more to go Graham not you hi guys I think we are woeful just now um, 
the defence is starting to look shaky. We're offering nothing up front. We haven't done for weeks. Duke is an absolute passenger. Yep. Um, I'm not for sacking managers, but the jury is really starting to get out on Robson Lake. The jury is definitely out. Indeed, absolutely. I think it probably reflects a lot of what we already talked about a minute ago, so we'll move quickly on to Bob. Um, I don't know if this is Bob who we met during the um, fan zone, who is the the guy who gave us the, the joys of the Beef Olives Jim Layton story. Um, I don't know if it's the same guy, but I'm hoping it is. Here's Bob. This might have been the most boring piss-poor football I've ever seen Aberdeen play. We genuinely have put Malcolm Allen to shame with the amount of mints we produced on that plastic <laughs> pit. Baza Hoofball is in full effect. Duke was on his arse half the time, waving at the ref, <laughs> begging for anything. Poor fucking Jack McKenzie being used as every single striker in the league's punching bag yet again. No decisions <laughs> going our way. Barely any attempts at target or even anywhere near the goal. Like, folk travelled to see this. It's it, I Genuinely, change is needed. I, I don't think Barry yet, yet, but something new needs to happen or Goodwin and United are going to be back up here in our fucking place. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah, I mean, I, I did see your suggestion that it was a, a free kick to Jack McKenzie for the initial Kilmarnock goal. I would, this might shock you. Liam, you might want to sit down for this part. McKenzie needs to do so much better there. I think McKenzie should go with his head. It, it, do, it doesn't become a conversation if McKenzie deals with it properly. And this is what really frustrates me about Jack McKenzie is that there's this inconsistency in his in his character on the pitch. Because one week you'll get the guy that goes and snaps at the corner Goldson at Ibrox. Or last season, I remember he snapped and put Robert Snodgrass into the air that led to a goal against Hearts. Played well against Pauk, I thought, actually. And yeah, even against Pauk, did well. Maybe threw his arms up a little bit too much for the penalty, but um, but then you'll get moments like that where all I think is, I assume Mackenzie's from Aberdeen. Yeah, he's in Verudi, isn't he? Close enough. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes, sometimes I watch him and I just think back to what Jimmy Calderwood said about why he didn't want to play Aberdeen, Aberdonians. Because that's two just cars in his driveway. That's just soft as shite. I still think it's a foul, though. I think McKenzie should do better, but I still think it's a foul. I mean, Armstrong turns his back on the ball, makes no attempt to play it, takes him out. Still wins it. Still wins it first. He doesn't win it first. He doesn't fucking come anywhere near him. Yeah, sure he doesn't. Let me go. Talk amongst yourselves. Armstrong Armstrong knocks the ball forward before he hits McKenzie. Uh, Does he? Definitely. Mm. And it's not, again, it's just, it's not an issue if McKenzie deals with it properly. And that's, and that, that's yeah. me ignoring Rubicic's attempt at blocking the Vassell shot. Because what you do with left-footed players is show them onto their left foot. Yes, that is not great. Um, anyway, right, there we go. Uh, it's bad, isn't it? We are not where I hoped we would be in October. <laughs> no, definitely not. Um, Still got a semi, though. <clears throat> You've got a semi. Whatever gets you going. A semi-final, that is. Well, well, you know, the Jamie McGrath scoreboard does that to me. I did think you were I did think you were saying a little bit awkwardly, Gav, but there we go. Um will we move on from that? Yes, please. Okay, let's do so. Um not an awful lot else going on. 
down AB24 this way uh, this week because obviously with the Conference League tie, all eyes were on that game during the week. Um, for the Quines, it's international break, so they didn't have a game. They're next up. Uh, they've got a trip to Motherwell next Sunday in SWPL1. Young team also <clears throat> with no game this week. They're back in action on Friday as Hamilton Ackies visit Cormac Park and then quickly on to Lone Watch, Kieran Nguenya at Park Thistle started, played 64 minutes and set up Thistle's second equaliser as they drew 2-2 with Queen's Park in the Champo on Friday evening. Uh, Evan Towler at Montrose, no appearance in the score again. Montrose were beaten 3-0 by Hamilton in League One. Alfie Babbage with another 90 minutes under his belt as Kelty beat Sterling Albion by one goal to nil in League One. That's Kelty up to third place now in League One. Uh, Aaron Reid started, played the full 90 minutes as... The Blue Toon saw off Clack by three goals to one in the Scottish Cup at Balmour. Liam Harvey and Blair McKenzie for Elgin. Holy fuck. Both started, both played the full 90 minutes as Elgin were hammered 6-0 by Genefield Swifts in the Scottish Cup. Uh, Gav's looking just incredibly perturbed by this one. Uh, I don't accept that's the new football team. <laughs> well, yes it is. Uh, Dylan Lobbin and Adam Emsley for Martin starts for them both. This is for Martin to on Clyde Bank in the Scottish Cup at... North Lodge Park. Emsley with a crucial goal in five is for Martin Soft. The Mankeys by three goals to two. X Don and friend of the show, Nicky Lowe, with both goals for the visitors. Finley Murray for Turriff. Another start, another 90 minutes for him as they exited the Scottish Cup. They didn't excite the Scottish Cup with a 2-1 defeat at Cumnick Juniors. Kevin Henrati at your beloved Bucky Thistle. Graham, no place in the matchday squad as 10-man Bucky saw off the Can-Cans in Forest by one goal to nil to reach the Scottish Cup third round where they have drawn somebody I saw a minute ago. Broxburn. Yeah, I very good chance for Bucky to make their way in the fourth round. Jaden Richardson at Stockport County, an unused sub as Stockport maintained their good start to the season. They won 2-0 against Tramier Rovers. That's County top of the tree in League Two. And then Anthony Stewart, another week. Another missed squad for Big T as the MK Dons edged out Swindon with the odd goal in five. That does for half. Yes. Been quite the therapy session. Indeed. During us after the break, we're going to preview Wednesday's trip to Motherwell because, you know, that's what we do. This episode of the APZ Football Podcast is brought to you by Doan Co on Belmont Street, Aberdeen. Enjoy freshly topped donuts, coffee, milkshakes, soup, pies, bagels and much much more available every day of the week come along and enjoy their daily deals such as black coffee and a mini donut for just one pound or a bagel and a soft drink for only a fiver join the guys seven days a week on Belmont street between eight and eight and available 24 7 at yourdonutshop.com So welcome back to the ABZ FP. Now, before we move on to preview our trip to Motherwell on Wednesday night, just a quick shout out to those of you who continue to make your contributions to the Beer and Coffee Fund, including this week, Richard McClure. Richard McClure. We see you. Your bread is appreciated. If you'd like to help keep us fueled in beers or coffees or just internet hosting fees, head on over to ko-fi.com forward slash ABZ football podcast. Links in the description. Shout us a beer or coffee. It is much appreciated. It does allow us as well to bring you uh, some pretty nifty interviews we've got coming up uh, with one individual in particular we'll record in a couple of weeks time we'll hopefully bring that to you in uh, two or three weeks which will be a doozy we hope 
And let's get down to business now. Talk about Motherwell because no rest for the wicked. The dawn season just keeps on rolling, rolling, rolling as Barry Robson's hoofball reds roll into North Lanarkshire to take on Motherwell on Wednesday evening in the cinch. It's a real shame because rest is exactly what we need. It really is. Um, our first visit to Firth Park since October last year when we departed with three points, courtesy of goals from Boyamiofsky and Duke in the first match after the introduction of VAR to Scottish football. Wednesday evening will be the 141st meeting in the league between the sides of Firth Park. In the and past it's pretty five level, years. And it's pretty level peg in Aberdeen with 49 wins. There's been 42 draws and 49 defeats. Goals for 194 for the Dons, goals against 200. So goals difference of just minus six, which against 141 games is pretty remarkable. Shows you just how tight a fixture this can be. Fur Park's a bit of a funny one for us because we tend to be quite streaky there. It's probably the best way to look at it. Only two defeats in our last six visits in the league, but they do tend to be relatively tight affairs. Mill will come into this one. Bang out of form. Indeed, they are currently the most out of form team in the league as it stands. So who do you need to play when you're that out of form? <laughs> That's right. Come on down. They've got no wins in the last five. Their last league win came on the 3rd of September and a 1 0 win at Hearts. Last time out, a 3 3 draw at home to Dross County. Motherwell needed an injury time equalizer through Ross to grab the point. Despite all of that, Wealth, though, are currently in, and I have to go and check where they are now because I typed this earlier before I knew what the results today were going to be. They are in sixth spot this evening on 11 points. And after being given the gig full time, Last year, after an impressive run as caretaker, we've ever heard that before, manager Stuart Kettlewell, he of curiously pointed hairline frame, has overseen a pretty chunky squad redevelopment since we last met them. The biggest miss, of course, for them is Kevin Van Veen. He departed for FC Groningen after his contract expired. Van Veen with 40 goals in 83 games in his time at Motherwell. 25 in the league last season, which saw him finish second top scorer in the league, just two behind Kyogo. Although I see already he's threatening to leave Groningen because he got benched last week. There we go. Um, another notable departure, uh, Max Johnson heading for Austria with Sturm Graz after what was a pretty remarkable rise to the ranks after starting last season on loan at Cove Rangers. And then what about poor Rico Danzaki arriving in a blaze of bewilderment at Glasgow Airport, shuttled off to Motherwell, hailed as Motherwell's answer to Rio Hatate and departs having played just 81 minutes of football. The poor bastard. Inbound, nine coming in in rather typical Motherwell fashion. It's generally a collection of Players on loan from England and some punts. Jonathan Obika returns on a permanent move from Morecambe after being with the Fur Park men on loan for the second half of last season. But he's got a hamstring injury, so he's out to December. So no point in talking about him. Uh, Connor Wilkinson, a striker wearing number 99. We've seen that before. He's joined from Walsall on a free. Davor Dravkowski, a North Macedonian central midfielder. He arrived on a free from AEL Limassol. He's only started four games so far and he's only played for 24 minutes. But there we go. Was called up recently. To recent North he Master. started four games and only played 24 minutes. According to according to the stats I looked at today, yes. He must get tired really quick. Graham's just like, what the fuck? That's, that's an average of six minutes a game, so there must be something wrong with that. What's in, that what's in the water in North Macedonia? Possible. Let me just double check that again. That has to be bullshit. That doesn't seem... <laughs> it doesn't seem right, does it? Let's just have a wee look here again. <laughs> Talk amongst yourselves. I do love that the idea of Stuart Kettlewell just be like him. Ricky Foster is at Motherwell, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, uh, Richard. He's part of the Foster. coaching staff, isn't he? Richard McDonald, yeah. I love the idea of them just like kicking off and then just telling the sub, like, get warm. Your time's about to come in six minutes' time. 
Okay, actually, apologies. He hasn't started four games. He's made four appearances for 24 minutes. Sorry. That seems That's, more legit. Yes. Indeed. Because like, if you take the one once and he's garbage and you give him a couple of minutes, you don't then do it another three times. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe this time. No. Nope. Yeah. Um, he's had a he's had a call up to the North Macedonia squad recently, so he will be familiar to Boya Miofsky. He's got a couple of under twenty one caps as well for North Macedonia. Theo Bear made the switch from St Johnston to Motherwell, which was kind of funny because he looked absolute dog shit at St Johnston, hadn't scored a goal, and I think he scored in his debut in about five minutes from Motherwell, but it's yep. not been great since then. Ollie Shaw, he of many clubs in Scotland as well, he's also joined them on loan till the end of the season. Perhaps one to watch is Mika Bireth. He's a Danish striker, twenty years old. 20 years old on loan from Arsenal for the season he came off the bench scoring against Ross County at the weekend for what is his second goal in three appearances and I guess perhaps the star of the season so far for Motherwell has been Lennon Miller son of ex-Don Lee uh, he missed the win over County uh, he missed sorry the draw over County at the weekend as he was serving a one-match ban after being sent off against Livingston so he should return against us the 17 year old centre midfielder he starred every one of Wales games this campaign he's been available for and he's really kind of catching the eye with his performances in the main, Kettlewell's kind of favoured a 3-4-3 shape, which drops into kind of 3-6-1 when they're out of possession, although he did go 5-3-2 against Ross County initially. One thing that Well have been pretty keen to do this season so far is certainly use width to try and create opportunities. They're certainly not um, scared either to take a pop from distance. 10 goals scored in their nine league games. So far, nine from open play against an expected goals of 6.53. So they're well over forming their expected goals. As mentioned above, they're not shy about getting shots away. 71 in total so far in the league. Um, ahead of the game today against Kilmarnock, Aberdeen had 41 shots across our season so far. I can't do the math. I don't have the number of front me just now, but it hasn't topped 50 anyway, put it that way. No goals from set pieces so far from other one. Maybe a bit of a surprise there. Defensively, they've conceded 12 in their nine league games to date. That's an average of 1.3 per game. Nine of them from open play against an expected goals against 8.57. So just about where they should be. Interestingly, though, they've only got one clean sheet in the league. So far, that's the lowest out of anyone. From a style perspective, they are the most direct speed, the, the most direct side in the league, a direct speed of 1.85 metres per second. But it's not necessarily hoofball. It looks like they're trying to play the ball around a little bit. Happy to give up territory, though keen to use their right flank in particular to develop moves. Not particularly aggressive in terms of pressing a PPD of 13.4. That places them seventh in the table on that metric. But they're certainly up there in terms of aggression. Third in the table for fouls per match, an average of 12.8. Fourth in the table for yellow cards. And top of the charts for red cards with two so far. So, gents, um, Barry Robson, after the game at Rugby Park, um indicated that he had got things wrong by not freshening the team up a bit. He thought we were still a bit leggy, despite the fact we couldn't use tiredness as an excuse. It's a big week ahead. We've got Millwall away on Wednesday, and then we have the League Cup semi-final at Hamden on Saturday. Do you expect to see changes? Changes in the starting lineup on Wednesday evening? No. Lovely stuff. Next question, please. Yeah, kind of like Gav. I mean, I feel like there has to be. And by his own admission, there has to be. And we have a cup semi-final that should take precedence over the league, in my opinion, because there's still plenty of time to recover your league position. So if he doesn't, if he doesn't make a decent number of changes, then that would sort of point to the state of the squad, wouldn't it? He just doesn't really trust and or rate them. 
he's kind of screwed here because if he doesn't make if he doesn't make changes, then he he totally goes against what he's just said. So he's come out saying I made a mistake by not making changes, and then he goes into a game by not making changes. So that's not a very good look. And but if it works, okay, fine. If he does make a lot of changes, and then we lose, uh, what's he going to say? I made too many changes. You know, guys haven't played football. Um, but I, I think I think we need to be focusing on the the cup semi-final. So I would be making changes. Oh, I just did a Hogan oof, there for a minute. So you'd be willing to forgo three points on Wednesday night for progress in the cup? Well, on current form, you're unlikely to get them. So there's no point in taking a chance of your best players getting injured. I, on a serious note, I, we don't You've heard it here capable. first. Graham is advocating Ordaria in the lineup on Wednesday. Yes, yes, up front. <laughs> alongside uh, Gay. Um, I just... <laughs> The only chance of winning anything if you're Aberdeen is, is the Cups. So we should be really, really going for that. I think we've got a decent you chance. We're not going to win the league this season, Graham. Uh, it's going to be a hell of a ride if we're to win the league. <laughs> Only got 17 points to make up. My prediction about us splitting the old firm this season is looking a bit iffy, isn't it? Let's be honest. I know, which is funny because none of us thought it would do this. Oh. No, wait, two of us thought it was absolutely Sitting in her carrying that baton for the rest of us now, I think. Nah, the, the, the St. Mirren, that'll finish. We'll still finish above St. Mirren. Not a game season. in hand. Not a game in hand as it stands. Yeah. Um, level with Rangers before you know it. Gav, what do you think? Um, it's not an easy hunting ground for us. No. Um, although, like I say, we... Here we go. Difficult place to go, Claxon. You need to get that, Gav. You need to get that. We are so off the back of a week, three games in a week. It's going to be too much. Yep. We had no idea this was going to happen. <laughs> no no I, way of preparing. So surprised at this extra games thing happening. It's a huge game, wasn't it? Like, Motherwell, which is such an other, they are the, the, the team in the worst form in the league. I mean, even St. Johnston are in better form than Motherwell are at this moment in time. Um, <laughs> if you're going to try and do anything in the league this season this is a game you have to go and win and <laughs> I've got no fucking I, I, I genuinely don't well, have any well, I think hope so or belief let's, about it let's, throw, let's add this to the mix of Livingston away, St Johnston at home Ilmarnock away <sighs> Fir Park on a Wednesday night yeah I, mean, I, I don't expect it to be easy regardless of what kind of form Motherwell are in because as it stands, I imagine we're probably going to play right into their hands with the way we play. And I'm in agreement with him. I would make changes, maybe not um, <laughs> to the extent of, you know, purely looking towards the game with Hibs as massive as that is. Because, you know, I think we're in, you know, we're not in a good position right now and we need to get wins to start climbing the table and take us away from being joint with, with Ross Kempney, who are fucking dreadful. Um, but honestly, I don't expect him to change anything. <laughs> Nothing at all. Nothing. <laughs> Regardless of the fact that he's come out and said that he should have made more changes and freshened things up, and we'll be in for the exact same kind of physical battle that'll sap the legs of our already fatigued players. I don't expect him to change a thing. Aberdeen Twitter will be an amazing place on Wednesday night when the team lineups come out and it's the same starting lineup as today. Um, and he'll come out and he'll say tiredness is not an excuse. <laughs> And then, I think you know, we'll, I think we'll see a couple of changes, but it'll be changes that won't really make a massive fundamental difference to anything because it'll be Clarkson for Povara or Ace for McKenzie. Yeah, 
you know, be very like for like, and it won't actually fundamentally make any sort of difference at all into the way that we're going to try and play the game. Um, and if we line up on Wednesday and we play in the same manner again, then there's going to be big fucking problems coming. And that's, I think, Gav, where you're right about looking down the line at the games that are coming up. Well, purely looking at the league, you know, Celtic away from home, um, if you discount their performance against Hibs, they seem to kind of, you know, be up and running this season. Rangers at home, again, I don't think there's anything to fear about Rangers, but like I said, anything can happen in these games. So suddenly you're sitting on 12 games with potentially nine points for Aberdeen. Yeah. Criminal state of affairs. And then a trip to Hibs after that. And our record at Easter Road in recent years is worse than horrendous. Yeah, so just getting points on the board from anywhere for me is is massive. I agree with Graham. I think Hibs is the bigger game, but we still need to be going to Fair Park and picking up three points as far as I'm concerned. If you could change it, what would you change? The manager. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only joking. Um, You're not, though, are you? No, at this stage, I am joking. I'm okay, not in that right. camp yet. All right. um, I think I'd be inclined to give Angus some game time because I while I tend to agree that the position has improved I can still think of instances recently where he's cost us and I'm kind of of the view that Aberdeen are not really big enough or good enough to be playing to be not playing your best players and as it stands I still think Angus Benalas is a better centre back than than Rubicic we're not keeping clean sheets so I don't think you can continue to persist with the same defence, thinking anything's going to change there. So I'd go with that, even just to get some experience and some leadership into the team. Um, yeah, I'd get Dante in from the start. And yeah, I'd find a way. I, I would give Sokler a run in place of Duke. As I've said before, I don't think him and Mioski are necessarily going to be the best partnership. But I think he deserves a chance to show what he has. And maybe, maybe we're wrong. Maybe they can be an effective strike partnership. I guess this is the thing is that there are options. Well, there's kind of some options, but there's not the further at the park is around what you do. Because I would like to see us change the shape. I would like to see us change the system. I'd like to see that as well, but it's not going to happen. So I'm just not even going to consider yeah. it. And this is the big problem because I think you can you can kind of fashion a four two three one out of there out out of the out of the team. Like you could play with you know, even like Jensen and Gartenman as your centre halves. So you could play Devlin at right back. Mackenzie left back. You could play Baron and Shinny as your midfield two. And then a three of and this is where it starts to fall down. McGrath maybe is the 10 or Clarkson is a 10. I don't think you could play McGrath off the flanks. I don't think he's really that kind of player. You're then probably looking at Johnny Hayes or Ryan Duncan off one of the flanks. <laughs> Which, you know, that's that's the problem now, isn't it? That's where we're at. Like but again, the, the unless you suddenly bring Vinny Bajewin out of nowhere. Well, the issue there again is like even with Duncan, even with Hayes, even if you were to just take you know Bajewin out from the wild, if <laughs> they even in the wild at Cormac Park, just foraging <laughs> for sticky toffee pudding. Yeah, always comes back with a sticky toffee pudding <laughs> yeah. covered in covered in sass. Um, these guys have had such limited game time. You know, it's how much, how you know how ready are they going to be for a game? Like Motherwell. It's a conundrum, is the best way to look at it. Um, 
I'm going to be honest. It's it's the back of nine on a Sunday night. I'm 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 kind of feel done after watching that this afternoon and, and talking about it again. So quickly venture for us gents a prediction for Wednesday evening at Fir Park. In keeping with the tradition of talking with sheer despondency and then offering a prediction, Freedom Aberdeen. <laughs> Zach Viner. Zach Viner. A Sammy Cosgrove and a Niall McGinn uh, double. Graham. No, no. No, no. Last week you said T.O. Bear is definitely going to score. No, that doesn't uh, sound like something I would ever have said. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Motherwell won because there's no way we keep a clean sheet Aberdeen 2 we somehow snaffle 3 points out of the game on Wednesday night and we'll kind of keep stumbling along and then we'll see how we go on Saturday for me Ooh, what happened there? Yeah, that was me oh, Graham's, just get, Graham's just getting too angry he's just punching stuff now anyway <laughs> there we go right that'll do us for this evening I think gents shall it? yes yeah I'll see. we'll see you later in the week yeah, indeed. So that's going to wrap up this week's episode of the ABZ, or this, the first episode this week. I apologize to listeners. We sound very fatigued, but it's been that kind of week. Yeah, it's been that kind of week. Um, no one excuse, though. No. <laughs> Just leggy. It's our own fault for not freshening things up. Anyway, thanks for joining us. Join us next time around where we'll review the game against Motherwell, and then we'll preview the Skull Cup semi-final against Hibs on Saturday. In episode 131. We look forward to seeing you then. Stand fucking free. Isn't this 131? No. Yes. 132. Ah, it's been <laughs> a long day. We'll see you when we talk about the CIS Cup. <laughs> This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast was brought to you in association with Siberia Bar and Hotel on Belmont Street, Aberdeen. Head into the bar, quote the phrase ABZ Pod, that's ABZ Pod, for a £3 pint of Foster's, £4 pint of Moretti, or £5 pint of Fierce any day of the week, including match days. Siberia is open seven days a week, all year round, and the bar is located only 30 seconds walk from the nearest bus stop taking supporters to Stadium for free on match days. Come on, you Reds.